We are in the book of Exodus, though we are nearing the end of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 33 is where we'll begin this morning for our study. Exodus 33, verse 18. If you need a Bible, we'll pass those out. Yeah, just raise your hand. We'll get them to you. And if you need to, keep those. Take them home with you. If you don't need them, just drop them off the table on your way out. Exodus chapter 33, beginning in verse 18. I, before I read this, Jim shared a moment ago, I encourage you to take a few minutes to get right with God and to, to seek out what His will is for you. What's, what's God's will for you? What does He want for you? And I was just sitting there thinking about some of what we're going to see this morning in the Scriptures and realizing that what God has for us, what He desires for you, is so much bigger than I think we can even possibly comprehend. I know it's bigger than human words can describe or define. We'll do the best that we can, and we're going to take this story from the life of Moses and look closely at it to try and understand something of what God's will is for us. But if you're sitting there in your life saying, man, for the last two years I haven't known, or the last week or the last month, I am asking, God, what is your will for me? You will hear this morning what his will is. And it's mind-boggling. And it's much bigger than just getting through the day-to-day, although understanding what God's true will is for your life will get you through the day-to-day. When we can begin to even grasp just the slightest bit of how massive and magnificent and wonderful God's will truly is, it changes everything. And I hope we can get there this morning. Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man can see me and live. And then the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Show me your glory. We first read this verse on Wednesday night, and it's just been ringing in my ears, resonating with me. Show me your glory. It's an extraordinary request, and you need to think about this. Moses had already seen something of God's glory. Uh, Picture this, Exodus chapter 24, verse 16. You're with Moses, with the children of Israel. You're at the base of Mount Sinai, and it says, The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. And Moses is just now saying, show me your glory. 
He and the people of Israel had seen a magnificent and awesome sight. A mountain on fire. Surrounded by a massive great cloud. Well, we've studied this cloud before. The cloud was not just a puffy white thing of smoke. But it was possibly more likely a churning, burning, fiery, ember-filled cloud. That re- re- resembled or showed God's glory. This amazing picture on the top of the mountain. A mountain that itself was most likely completely scorched by the presence of God. And Moses is saying, show me your glory. Moses, haven't you seen enough? In fact, Moses actually entered that consuming fire when he went up to receive the tablets of the law from the Lord. Exodus chapter 24, verse 18. Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. He was in the presence of the Lord. Just a minute. Eventually that hum would get so loud. (laughs) Moses was in God's presence 40 days and 40 nights. And just now he's saying, show me your glory. So you've got to wonder, what is it? What is it, Moses, that you're missing here? What is it that you really want? When you say, show me your glory, he's talking to the Lord. He's in the presence of the Lord. And yet he still says, show me your glory. He must be seeking something he had not yet experienced. He must be wanting to go somewhere with the Lord that he had not yet gone. Max Lucado says, asking for God's glory is asking for more of God himself. And I believe that's exactly what Moses was doing. He wanted more. More of the Lord. More intimacy. I want to experience experience more of you, Lord. More fully. Show me your glory. And so I ask you this morning, how about you? Would you like to know more of the Lord? Would you like to step a little further into the cloud? Draw a little nearer to the glory of God. To know Him better. For some of you, that means knowing Him at all. That means you're sitting here saying, I don't even know if I really believe God exists. Would you like to? Would you like to know the Lord? For, for others, it may mean that you have walked with God a long time, but, but you're not quite satisfied. That's the beauty of following the Lord, is you're never quite satisfied. He fills you up, but there's always more of Him. Do you want more? Well, Moses says, show me your glory, and God does. God does it. But check this out. He didn't just find his thrill on Sinai Hill. That wasn't the idea. Now, you can mistake that. You can think, well, Moses just went up for religious experience. He just wanted to feel something. He wanted to be emotional. He wanted to be overcome. I felt God's glory. But knowing more of God's glory, asking Him to show you His glory, is much more than a religious experience that will happen on a Sunday morning. Or in a small group. Or with a gathering of Christians. It is not a one-time event. When you say, God, show me your glory, you are asking for something outrageous, extraordinary, phenomenal. And God does respond. For the desire to see and know God's glory is the desire to know more of God Himself. But listen, this is dangerous and I'll give you a warning. Something happens. Something happens to a person who wants to know more of God. Something happens when you say to the Father, Show me your glory, as Moses did. For you see, in Moses' experience, God pulled a fast one. God did something with Moses that he couldn't possibly have expected. And that's what I really want to see this morning. But let's pray first. Father, show us your glory. Draw us more intimately in. And Father, reveal to us what this really means, what it is that we're asking. 
that we may know you and follow you and trust you and yes Lord experience you in ways that we never have show us your glory Holy Spirit guide us into your word today in Jesus name Amen look over in chapter 34 verse 29 again God did something Moses didn't expect Moses didn't even know as a matter of fact that it had happened watch this Exodus 34 verse 29 it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him I just love that Moses didn't have a clue his face was all lit up he was all aglow verse 30 says when Moses and the sons of Israel saw or when Aaron and the sons of Israel saw Moses behold the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near now consider this typically going 40 days without food or water does not result in a healthy youthful glow but for Moses it did Moses comes down the mountain after having only been with God and this is also a man likely in his 80s but he didn't come back looking weary or worn or hungry or tired he didn't come back down looking like Charlton Heston did in the movie you remember that every time he went to be with God he came back looking older the beard started to get whiter and longer until the last time he could barely walk and he was coming down that is not a picture of God's glory that misses the boat Moses came down completely lit up glowing he said show me your glory and what did God do? (laughs) he put his glory all over Moses' face Moses didn't know now this is one of those stories that has intrigued people it has me for years you think about this idea of a guy coming down literally glowing out his hands and his face and, and the people running scared but there's something to see here a few things that I believe we can learn from Moses' experience with this glow and you may want to jot a few of these down if you're a note taker and I encourage you to be the first thing to write down is the glow the glow on Moses' face the glow implies redemption now remember if there's any one word that describes the entire book of Exodus that's it redemption redemption is the key word of the Exodus that's what the whole Exodus is about a people who are bought back by the Lord brought back by the Lord into the promised land redemption because sin is a heavy burden to bear Psalm 38 verse 17 the psalmist writes I am ready to fall my sorrow is continually before me for I confess my iniquity I am full of anxiety because of my sin I'm full of anxiety this is what sin does it fills you up with negative hard difficult feelings anxiety and we talked about on Wednesday night that the glory of God that Moses asked for more of that God gave him more of that glory that word is kabod in the Hebrew it means the heaviness the weight the substance and without it gang without the substance of God in our lives there is only one alternative and that is emptiness emptiness you wonder why in this life people come to points of having riches and wealth and success untold and yet still feel empty it's because the glory is missing and it is only the glory of God that can fill up the empty space in us that heavy weight that substance that is the Lord but inevitably when we confess our sin to the Lord that anxiety within us that failure before God redemption happens and God removes it paying for our sin himself 
How is this a picture of redemption? Because Moses goes up the mountain with the weight of sin on his back. And he comes down the mountain with the weight of glory on his face. And this is what God does. Going to him, seeking him out. Show me your glory, Lord. I am a failure in my life. I am a sinner. Show me your glory. And God says, I will. And he does. And as you come back from the Lord, you are now covered with the weight of glory and not the weight of sin. Psalm 130 verse 7 For with the Lord there is loving kindness And with Him is abundant redemption Overflowing redemption This is what God wants for us In place of my emptiness In place of my anxiety over sin in my life I go up to the Lord I come back with the glow of redemption But listen, the glow The glow is not mine It's His And Christians especially need to remember this time and time again. The glow of God's glory is not mine. It is not something that I have conjured. Not something that I have pulled up. Not something that I have accomplished. It is always and only the glow of God. Second thing to write down. The glow indicates reflection. It indicates the reflection. Not something generated in me, but a reflection of the glory of the Lord. Now Moses again didn't know he had the glow. And this is comical to me. It's similar in some ways to, you know that joke where you give someone some binoculars, but you put black ink around the eyepieces? So when they put it up and they come down, they've got black circles around their eyes. They don't know. And they're walking around. It's hilarious. Or the sign that says, kick me. It was always a favorite, you know, in elementary school especially. You try and get it on someone's back and say, kick me. And they're getting kicked. And they're going, what's going on? I don't understand. It is very similar to this. It's like someone walking out of a restroom and there's toilet paper on the back of their shoe and they don't even know it. They're just walking around talking to people and you're going, that's pretty funny. This situation, now I know you're saying, okay, Rick, the glory of God and toilet paper, it's not, it's not a good example. Well, listen, the people of Israel are running scared when Moses comes down the mountain. They see him, they see him lit up, glowing. They don't even know, maybe he's dead now and this is his ghost coming down. We don't know, but this man is lit up and this is frightening. And they're running in all directions to get away from Moses. And Moses is going, what? What? What's the problem? Why are you, why are you running away from me? Hey, somebody, can you, please, please? And everybody's dodging. And Moses doesn't have a clue. He arrives in the camp. Aaron, even his own brother, is afraid of him. And he had no idea that glory was written all over his face. There's a similar situation, similar story in the book of Acts, chapter 2. You may recall, it's the day the church was inaugurated. And the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples. And they had tongues as of fire above their heads. You know what's interesting? The location of the fire, you wouldn't have been able to see it on yourself. You would have seen it on all the other apostles, but if you happened to be one of the apostles that day, you wouldn't have seen your own tongue of fire. You just would have seen everybody else's and gone, wow, these people are all lit up. These people have the glow of glory. These people have the Holy Spirit. How come I don't? Everyone else is on fire. Everyone else is a glow in the Lord except me. And the reality is you're just not seeing what other people see. And isn't that often the case with a servant of the Lord? Because you don't even see the glory when it's on you. You don't see or know the glory. Flipping your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. Jesus tells an interesting parable. Beginning about verse 34. Matthew 25, 34. Jesus is telling a parable and it's not just a story. It's actually a reality, I believe, of something that will happen later on. The judgment of the nations... 
But in the middle of talking about this, verse 34, he says the following. He says, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer. And watch what they say. Lord. When did we see you hungry? And feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And the point is this. The servants of the Lord don't know that they have the glow. They don't recognize so often the glory that is on them. They're busy serving the Lord. They're loving the Lord. They're living for the Lord. But they don't see the glow of glory that is upon them. Why? I believe it's the very grace of God that doesn't allow us to see the glory. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2. Moses is talking to all the people. And he says, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these forty years. That he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that a man does not live by bread alone, but a man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The glow of God's glory is a reflection of the Lord and never a reflection of the life of the servant. Therefore, oftentimes the servant doesn't even know they've got the glow, as Moses did not know. Coming down the mountain, had no idea he had just been with the Lord. For you and I, Colossians 1.27, Paul says, God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. In Ephesians 2.8, For grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no man may boast. The glow on Moses was a reflection of the true glory. A reflection. We'll go back to Exodus 34, verse 31. Watch this. Verse 31, Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him. And Moses spoke to them. And afterward, all the sons of Israel came near. And he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. And watch, when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Moses put the veil over his face after he spoke to them. Now I always assumed the veil over the face was because everybody was so freaked out. Because they were afraid of Moses. So quickly he got the first piece of material he could find, slapped it over his face and said, Okay, now will you talk to me? That's not what happened. Moses put the veil over his face after he delivered the word of the Lord to the people. So as he's telling them what God had to say, the glow is still there. They see it. They probably were unnerved by it. Fearful of it, but they saw it while he was delivering the word. Why? Because the glow increases reception. The glow increases reception. You remember the old TV antennas? We don't really, our kids don't have any idea about this stuff anymore because it's all cable or satellite. 
But we had the TV antenna that sat right on top of our black and white TV. And literally, I would have to get one end of the antenna and hold my mom's hand, and she'd have to kind of go like this so my dad could watch TV. You know, you'd have to twist the thing around and try and find the... And you'd see them in all the houses, twisted in every direction, and men up there on Saturday afternoons trying to fix the antenna and falling off and breaking their necks. It was a bad scene. But it was all about trying to get better reception, better reception. Let's increase the reception. And this is exactly what's going on with the glow that is on Moses' face. Think about this. He was bringing the word of God to the people. And they needed to hear the word. Because faith comes from hearing, Romans 10, 17. And hearing by the word of Christ. They needed to hear it. And so before Moses covered the glory, he let them see as he was giving the word that there was a connection there. There was a connection. Ever tried to share God's word only to have it fall on deaf ears? And I'm just curious, how many people, yeah, I guess you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have talked to a, a brother or a sister, a mother or a father, a friend, and tried to say, listen, I, I believe in Jesus and I want to share him with you, and they have no sense of what you're saying. They don't want to hear it. You're held at arm's length. I want to suggest something to you that you can do to increase receptivity. Uh, what's that? Go to the presence of the Lord. You spend time with the Lord. Moses had been 40 days, 40 nights with the Lord in his presence. Coming down, the glow was all over him. Why? Because he had been with the Lord. We said this Wednesday night and Jim made the comment, being right with God doesn't always mean being perfect. It means being right where he is. Right with him. And if I'm right with God, if I'm spending time with God, if I am in the presence of God, the words that I seek once I come from God are accompanied by the glow of His glory and are more easily heard. It increases reception. Moses had the word of God in his hands, but I wonder if this stiff-necked people would even have listened if not for the glow, which had them all freaked out. They realized he had been with the Lord and they knew beyond the shadow of a doubt this word was God's word and we'd better hear. So get with the Lord. The glow of having been with the Lord increases reception. Paul puts it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Holy Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And the practicality of this, I believe, extends to every single one of our lives in a daily basis. Sure, if you want to more effectively bring God's word to someone, you've got to be in his presence. But wise, how would you like the secret to unlocking your husband's faith? It's not going to be in pestering him, it's going to be in praying for him. Husbands, fathers, how would you like to experience a little bit more respect in the home? From your spouse, from your kids? You want to experience more of that, don't demand it. Remand yourself to the authority of God. You spend time with the Lord and let His glory be what draws respect to your life. Parents, if your kids aren't receptive to your authority, maybe it's because there's a glare in your eyes instead of a glow on your face. Maybe there's a glower instead of the glow of the Father. Maybe the problem is you're trying too hard to be the parent you think you're supposed to be instead of going to your father and asking what the real parent looks like. What kind of a parent am I supposed to be, Lord? I want to be the parent you want me to be. The glow increases receptivity. What about you kids? Do you wish you could be taken more seriously? 
heard more by your parents, listened to by teachers, then spend time with the Father because the glow increases receptivity. The glow only comes from the presence of God's glory which will increase receptivity in your life. We'll read on verse 34 of chapter 34. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses so that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Why did Moses continue to wear the veil now after the initial shock of the glow wore off? Why not just put it away? The folks know, hey, I'm going to be with the Lord and I'm going to be glowing and, and after a while, you know, just don't worry about it. Why does he start wearing the veil? This is interesting. Paul gives us some insight. Moses didn't keep wearing that veil to hide the glow. Moses kept wearing the veil for a completely different reason altogether because something was happening behind the veil. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Paul tells us, I've never seen this before, listen. Moses used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. It wasn't the glory that freaked them out that caused Moses to wear the veil. It was so they wouldn't see the glory diminishing, fading, going away. Moses is wearing a veil to hide something that is fading. The glow that Moses had was temporary. It didn't stay put. He didn't just have it all the time. And Moses covered his face, not so the people wouldn't be scared, but so they wouldn't focus on the fading of this glow. Well, how did Moses get the glow again? He went and he got back by going back to the Lord. Number four, the, the glow invites renewal. This picture of, of Moses coming down with this glow, he's got it on him, but it fades, it goes away, and for it to be restored, for there to be a renewal of the presence of the Lord in Moses' life, he had to go back and back and back to the Father. And each time, the glow would return, bright and true. Each time, he would obviously have been with the Lord. But after a while, it faded again. And is there a better picture of how we live in our Christian lives? Man, I'm with the Lord. I'm on the mountaintop. I'm feeling the presence of God. It's great. And for the first few hours after I leave, man, I can tell anybody anything about Christ. Man, when I've come off a retreat, I'm high as a kite on Jesus and I just want to tell the world. I'm feeling His presence in everyday life, all my relationships. Oh, to be with the Lord. But day in and day out, the glow seems, it seems, to fade. Moses had to go back to the Lord to be refilled, to be recharged, to be renewed. You may remember Jesus at one point sent out his 12 apostles on a mission. He sent them out and when they came back they were pumped. They had done great things. They had cast out demons. They had taught the word. They were really excited and they came to Jesus. In Mark chapter 6 verse 30 it tells us the apostles gathered together with Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. So they're just a buzz with excitement. Listen to this one. Oh, but I had this happen. Oh, Lord, you've got to hear this. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Why? For renewal. For refreshment. For recharging with the Lord. Time spent, quiet, and away. I, I want to give you a, a, just a personal thing about me, if I may. I'm here every Sunday morning, you know that, every Wednesday night. Whenever the worship team rehearses, 
through the elders' meetings. I, I pray with people. I spend time with people. My life revolves around focusing on the Bridge Christian Fellowship, the Lord's will, what He wants. And you might think because of this, oh, well, well then, then Rick, you must, you must feel the presence of the Lord constantly. Absolutely not. I don't. There are times where I'm here and I'm teaching and I'm not sure of the presence of the Lord. There are times I go home immediately after telling everybody how to perfectly live their lives and mess it up as I did this week. Arguing. Causing problems. Stirring things up at home because I didn't hear what I told everybody else to hear. And it's hard. I, I'm, it's hard to be a pastor because everybody thinks that a pastor is different. We're not. I'm not. It's hard to be a pastor simply because people look and they go, Oh, well, you got the glow. No, I don't. The glow fades. It goes away. It doesn't seem to stay. And in my own mind, like everybody else in this place, I struggle with this. I want to live for the Lord, but what I want to do is not what I do. Isn't that what Paul said? Romans chapter 7, The very thing I purpose to do for the Lord is not what I do. I do the opposite. I have this war going on inside of me. This battle between what's of the Lord and the Spirit and what's of the flesh. And I'm thrilled like this. And every one of us deal with that. Every one of us are of the flesh. And every one of us can have the glow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this is what God offers us. And it's mind-boggling. In fact, it goes so much further than anything we've talked about. These little examples in Moses' life of what this glow is like. Renewal and, and redemption. Reflection. Reception. All these things are great. And it sounds really good. But there's something that Moses did not have at that point in his life. Something that is so overwhelming. That is where we're ending here this morning. You've got to hear this. Flip in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. While you're flipping there, some of what I was saying about just me being a pastor, it is not because I'm a pastor that I'm going to go into heaven one day. It is not that because I'm a pastor that I get to be close to God. It is because of what we're going to see. And it's something that goes for every person who cries out the name of Jesus and says, I want Jesus in my life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 13. Listen to Paul's words. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. Now watch this. Listen. This is great. We're not like Moses. I have that underlined in my Bible. We are not like Moses. Moses was awesome. Moses was a man of God. Moses was the greatest prophet Israel ever saw. We are not like Moses. We're in a better place. Listen to this. He used to put a veil over his face so the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away, but their minds were hardened. For until this very day at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because what? It is removed in Christ. Will you say that with me? It is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, we all, you and I, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, watch, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The glow, the glow that God offers from His glory for believers in Christ today incites a revolution. It is about change. It is about radical metamorphosis, unlike anything else that could possibly happen in life. 
The glory, the glow of the Lord. Not a fading glow, but a transfiguring, changing, radically altering glow. And Paul says in Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. You want to know what the will of God is? Be transformed. Because His will is good and acceptable and perfect. Now watch this. The word transformed that Paul uses in this verse. And the word transformed in 2 Corinthians 3.18 where he says that we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That word transformed is metamorpho in the Greek. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. But this is what blows my mind. It is the exact same word that is used to describe the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. Same word. We are being transfigured. Metamorpho. We are being altered, changed. Jesus went up on the mountain. He took Peter and James and John, Mark 9, 2, and he brought them up on the high mountain by, by themselves. And he was transfigured, metamorpho, before them. And his garments became radiant and exceedingly white. Listen to this. As no launderer on earth can whiten them. A manna can't do it. Whirlpool can't do it. Maytag can't even get this that clean. Only the Spirit of God, only God can say, Isaiah 1.18, Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are like red crimson, they will be like wool. And my friends, when Paul says that we are being transformed from glory to glory, that's what he's talking about. It's not the religion that's the opiate for the masses. It's not pie-in-the-sky theology. This is what Paul meant by the hope of glory. We are being changed. We are being transformed. We are being transfigured into the image of Christ, changed to be like Him. Show me your glory. You want to know what God's will is for you? It's that you look like Jesus. You want to understand God's will for your life? It's that He wants to transform your physical, fleshly, struggling nature into the image of the perfect Jesus. Are you serious, Rick? Yeah. Absolutely. Eternally. These are not games that we play at church. This is not about gathering together and seeing how many people we can stuff into a barn. This is not about living a certain lifestyle that's because you know everyone else is wrong. This is not about being conservative versus liberal. It's not political. It is the most personal thing you'll enter into in your entire life being transformed, transfigured from glory to glory. And God, right now, whether you realize it or not, remember, Moses didn't even see it. He is changing you if you are in Christ. He is transforming you if you are in Jesus. Now, there are several among you that I could point out this morning and really embarrassed, but I don't want to do that. But there are several that I have just watched and gone, I am amazed at the transformation. Family members of yours who have come to me and said, I don't even know who this person is. They're so different. They're so changed. Being transfigured. John says, 1 John 3, Beloved, now we're children of God, but it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. 
We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. And it's because of this very hope that Paul says we do not lose heart. It's because of this hope that we can walk day in and day out whether we're struggling with illness or sickness, whether we're struggling with family issues, where we're unsure of ourselves or or we don't know what the future holds for us. In all these things, we are being transfigured and changed into the person of Jesus to be like Jesus. Not to be Jesus, but to be like Him for we will see Him as He is. Are you discouraged? Are you depressed? Downtrodden? Are you wondering, as I have often wondered, is God doing anything in you at all? Take heart. Because if you are in Christ, there is a metamorphosis taking place a transfiguration one you may be completely aware of but God is doing it he says so and personally I take great comfort in that Jesus will change us from glory to glory until that final day when as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.51 we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will all be changed. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Let the glory of God in your life be what gets you from one day to the next. Let the realization as bizarre and out there as it may seem, especially when you're having a bad day, let that be what shows you how to get by, how to move into the next day, knowing that we will completely be changed on that day when Jesus calls us home. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, I I thank you so much for loving us like you do, for this mind-blowing concept of transfiguration. We are simple human beings with failure all about. And anyone here, Lord, any one of us who have tried to be pleasing to you in all things has fallen flat on our faces. Sometimes, Father, I have to admit, reading about studying your glory just makes me feel that much more insignificant and small and unable to be what you want me to be. But Lord Jesus, I needed this message this morning. I needed to hear from you again that I am being changed, whether I know it or not. And we have this precious, awesome promise, Lord. Thank you so much that you change us, that you're working in us. That you're taking us from glory to glory. God, I pray for everybody here, for the Bridge Christian Fellowship as a family, that you will fill us with the substance, the weight of your glory. And Lord, not that we would be looking for it or aware of it, but that we would live in it, seeking out your presence, wanting to be your children. And we pray, Father, the glow of the light of your glory would shine in this world and make a difference in the darkness. And we long for that day when our glory will be complete. Our glory will be your glory all over us. Until then, Father, keep changing us. Help us to pursue that holiness with all that we are.